There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everybody. I'm Bill Roden, and it's overcast and drizzly here in New York City.、Uh, but the bright spot, <laughs> the really bright spot, is that the new class of Roden Fellows is with me today.、Uh, really, really happy, very proud to have you guys. Let's start uh, the, the uh, broadcast with a roll call and、uh, something our listeners should know about each of you. Hello, everyone. My name is Whitney Bronson. I'm a senior journalism major from Hampton University. And I love going to my HBCU for the HBCU sports and atmosphere. Hi, all. I'm Arthur Cribbs from Los Angeles. I'm a junior journalism major at Howard University in Washington D.C. And what I enjoy about attending an HBCU is the ability to think freely on my campus. Hi, everyone. My name is East Dockery, and I am a sophomore multimedia journalism student at North Carolina A&T State University. And one thing that I love about my HBCU is the family atmosphere. Hi everybody. I'm Nathan Easington, a senior journalism major and history minor from Evanston, Illinois. And what I love about my HBCU is all the networking opportunities that are made available here. Hey everyone. My name is Kevin Page, junior from Bowie State.、Um, one thing I love about my HBCU is that the teachers want to help you succeed and they care about you a lot. And last but certainly not least, I'm Randall Williams. I go to Hampton University. I'm a graduating senior. And the one thing that I love about Attending an HBCU is being surrounded by Black culture twenty four seven. Well, great hearing from all of y'all. I'm really, really excited to work with、uh, with all of you for the rest of the academic year,、uh, and、uh, we've got a great lineup today.、Uh, we're going to talk to、uh, my friend Cameron Wolf, who is a national NFL reporter who covers the Miami Dolphins for ESPN, and we're going to talk to、um, Cameron about his career journey. And what he makes of athlete activism today. Then, in the second half of the show, we're going to review the albums and the singles that dropped just in time for the start of the school year. So,、um, let's get right into it. The NFL preseason is underway, and arguably the team with the most attention are your Miami Dolphins.、Uh, the team's principal owner, Stephen Ross, and veteran wide receiver Kenny Stills have been in the headlines, kind of butting heads. Now, many of you may know that Gloria Estefan, Mark Anthony, Venus Williams, and her sister Serena are all minority owners in the Dolphins. Now, Ross recently hosted a fundraiser for President Trump while presiding over the NFL Social Justice Committee and the Ross Initiative in Sports for Equality. Kenny Stills called Ross a hypocrite for supporting President Trump and racial justice initiatives. Stills also. Recently spoke about Jay Z's partnership with the NFL, specifically the fact that Jay Z said that quote <laughs> we're past kneeling. Stills responded、uh, again a quote. I wonder if he's read my Facebook comments or my Instagram comments or some of the things people say to me to say that we're moving past something. It didn't really seem very informed. Now Stills is one of several players, including Panthers Eric Reed, who continues to kneel. Later、uh, in a practice,、uh, Dolphins coach 
Brian Flores announced his support for Steele's protest after playing eight eight Jay-Z songs in a row during practice. I want to hear what you guys have to say about that. But Flores said he was testing Steele. He's testing all of us. Uh, but anyway, at any rate, here to help us make sense of all this is Cameron Wolf, the national NFL reporter for ESPN, who's been covering the Dolphins for about two years. Prior to that, he reported on the Tennessee Titans and the Denver Broncos. Uh, welcome to the show, Cameron. Thanks for having me, Bill. Oh, it's been a, it's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. Hey, hey uh, Cameron, before we, we uh, get into the Dolphins, let, let's talk about your career. Um, you're a native of Mississippi, yeah. and that's, I'm sure, a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're an alum of the University of Houston and the Sports Journalism Institute. Uh, you know, each of the fellows, uh, they're on a, a year-long internship. How yeah. did you take advantage of the Sports Journalism Institute, and how would you suggest uh, the fellows take advantage of the fellowship? Man, my biggest thing for you guys is, is to be honest, like every time you go into that job, you got to think, um, what can I do to make myself indispensable? Um, I know for me, like I, I went in, I used, I interned at the Denver Post and that was a place where I actually got my first job after college and they had actually just had buyouts. They had about 20 to 25 buyouts the week I was coming in. So that sort of down my spirits because I figured, Hey, if they're getting rid of people, they're not going to hire me. But, you know, I kind of got myself back together and said, hey, just work your butt off. Um, somebody's watching. You know, even if you don't think somebody's watching, that's a, another lesson that I sort of learned. And I just kind of tried to find ways to make myself resourceful. I tried to find the holes um, that they had in their department and, and tried to really maximize myself in that area. So, you know, early on, I figured they had a gap in colleges. So I, I really focused on telling a lot of college stories and I was able to tell some unique stories, some stories that caught my editor's attention, uh, some features, some investigative pieces. Um, and these are things that I pitched myself. You know, a lot of times we go into internships and editors give us, give us assignments. They say, Hey, you know, go cover this lacrosse game or go cover this basketball event. And, you know, that's part of your assignment, but I think you, you create a sort of, uh, a different, uh, a relationship and vibe with your editors when you present ideas to them about what you think um, they should be covering and you should be covering for them. So um, that was something I did early on. And then, you know, later in that summer, I was able to do a lot of Broncos work. And I, I realized that there was a, a dearth of, of video, um, you know, people who wanted to do video. Um, and that was something that I was comfortable with. So I volunteered to do video every day for Broncos because they were trying to launch their video department in the sports realm. So um, I did that, got a lot of reps, uh, felt like I got pretty comfortable in that area. And, and you know, I became sort of the face of, of their Broncos video coverage for that summer. Um, and I think once my internship was over, um, you know, my editor felt like, hey, we need that throughout the regular season. We need, you know, that storytelling and that video coverage. So I think that, you know, I found that area where I was indispensable and they, you know, had to figure out, are we going to lose that ability or are we going to keep him? And they chose to keep me. So I'm thankful for that. And that kind of just started my path along um, to where I am now. Hi, Cameron. This is Whitney. Um, I just had a question about what are the biggest cultural differences between covering, you know, Tennessee and Miami? Very good question. Um, I was actually talking to a couple of my buddies about this uh, earlier. I think the biggest thing for me, and it's sort of a personal thing, um, we have a really diverse media group out here in Miami, especially on the Dolphins beat. Um, and I think that's important to me um, more because, you know, I'm with these people a lot. Like, 
I probably see these people more than I see my wife on a regular basis um, because every day, you know, you're on practice during the season, you're taking road trips. So you're with these people. So you want to be able to have fun. You want to have, be able to have interactions where, you know, although you guys are competing, um, you're able to be social. So, you know, the Miami Herald, I know has, uh, has a Hispanic writer. Um, The Sun Sentinel has a a black writer and a, um, a, uh, a Arab writer as well. And um, there's the athletic has a, a black writer, and then I'm black. So there's a lot of diversity in that crew. And, and to be frank, Tennessee, I was the only minority um, often in those rooms. So that's probably more the standard. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of these NFL beats. So I, I think I got, a, you know, I was blessed to be in this opportunity with Miami, where that's not the norm. So you know, when situations come up like this, Kenny Stills matter. I think this market more than any others are equipped to be able to cover this the way it deserves to be covered um, because we can write about our stories a lot better than, you know, other people who may not look like us and be able to have the experiences that we have. So obviously, you know, the cities are are, are very different as far as, you know, being a heavy Latin culture in in Miami versus, you know, um, I guess you call that country or honky tonk uh, culture in Nashville. Hey Cameron, this is Arthur. Uh, When it comes to, uh, do you find that black journalists have a unique sensibility when it comes to covering players? Absolutely. Um, I tell, like, I'm young myself, so it sounds weird saying this, but I tell, I tell young journalists like that, that, hey, your best resources that you're relatable to a lot of these players. Like, a lot of these players are, you know, mid-20s, early-20s, late-20s uh, black men, and that's probably – three-fourths of the locker room. So, yeah, I might not be able to relate with a white owner who's 70 years old who may have, you know, better uh, interactions and better relations to, you know, the white columnist who's been there for 50 years. But I know I can talk to the guy in the locker room about, you know, whatever the latest sneaker drop was or whatever the latest Kendrick drop album that dropped. Um, and I can relate to that just on a personal level. So when I come to them for questions or when serious matters come about, I think there's a different respect and there's a different layer, especially if you treat that relationship right. So I definitely take advantage of that all the time. I think, you know, first of all, whether white or black, you should create um, sort of meaningful relationships with players that are beyond just sort of transactional interactions. And what I mean by that is that I see a lot of reporters who talk to players only when they need questions answered and when they need the story done. And I think especially when you're on a beat, players notice that. And you can't develop relationships with players if, if everything's transactional. So I think for me, it's, it's good to be authentic, be yourself, and, and also to really be interested in players' uh, other interests outside of football. So I think I've used that you know, a lot throughout my career, and it's helped me get stories. It's helped me get unique nuggets um, for, for people that I don't think I would have got otherwise. Hey, Cameron, this is East speaking. And given your talks with Kenny Stills, do you agree with Jay-Z saying that we are over kneeling? Good question. Um, personally, and this is all personally, um, I don't agree. I, I believe that um, there's a reason why these players are kneeling, whether it's, you know, Colin Kaepernick who started the movement, whether it's Kenny Stills or Agreed. I believe they're they're doing it because they're trying to bring awareness to an issue that a lot of America tries to ignore and believes it's not an issue. And I know Jay-Z had mentioned that, you know, he, he sort of made a question, hey, do you know what the issue is? Do you know what the issue is? Do you know what the issue is? But I still see on a regular basis that a large amount of America either chooses not to or is unaware of 
why these players are kneeling. You know, it's always the patriotism reason. It's always, you know, they're doing it, they're against the military or they're doing it for this reason. So I believe once players stop using their voice to voice and to show through action why they're doing this, that people will forget. And I think that's a dangerous period for us because if we go about a period where we forget uh, why we're using our voice, then, you know, it's become sort of skewed. So I think it's a, it's a peaceful protest, and I don't really know why there's an urgency to get players to stop uh, a peaceful protest. So I do think that there is importance in action, and I think a lot of why Kenny Stills was offended by Jay-Z is that he feels like he has been putting a lot of action behind his protest. You know, he's been, um, you know, Walter Payton Man of the Year honoree in Miami for the last two years for his community service work. You know, I wrote a story about him for the undefeated um, last year where I spent, you know, half a year with him. Essentially, every Tuesday he's going into the community and working with women, working with children, working in underprivileged uh, underprivileged neighborhoods, working with the POW and the police system, working with military people, and trying to make his community better. Um, he, had a, he held a mental health summit earlier this year where he kind of broke down crying, talking about how he dealt with depression um, for two years while he's going through this protest. Um, privately and how he felt like it was important to share for young people that, hey, you know, I'm an NFL player who makes a lot of money, but I can still go through mental health issues and sort of have depression and sort of open that conversation up with athletes. So I see a lot of the action, you know, firsthand that Kenny Stills is doing. So I think you can protest and have action, um, and I think a lot of these players are doing that. Hey, Cameron, it's Nathan here. Um, I was wondering if you feel the NFL will ever find a unified voice. Um, I actually had a conversation with somebody with the Dolphins yesterday who um, had a different view than I do about this sort of whole element. And um, I think that, you know, whether you see this issue or not, I think our country is really divided at this point. And um, I think at this, at this juncture, everybody is taking a side. And, you know, there's very few people who are playing the middle. And if you do, you get admonished because, you know, uh, especially how, uh, how you know, sort of divisive Donald Trump has been over his term, you essentially have to be aligned with his views or you have to be completely against them. So I think the NFL has often tried to play the middle view, but doing that, they have, you know, sort of uh, alienated players who have decided to take a stance, strong stance one way or the other. And I feel like when you alienate those players, you'll never truly have a, a one-line stance. Um, I always tell my friends that I think the day that the protest movement sort of died was the day where everybody started to uh, protest against Donald Trump calling them SOBs. And, you know, you saw Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys owner, who decided, hey, we're going to uh, come together and link arms. And he kneeled on camera and looked into the camera and smiled. And to me, when you see a, a owner sort of uh, take the, the vehicle that players were using to bring awareness for another reason and sort of uh, use it to his own way to sort of, in my opinion, squash a movement um, that sort of started the, the uh, I guess, what I call a, uh, a split. And then shortly after that, we saw the player coalition split with Colin Kaepernick's group which, you know, has Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed, and Kenny Stills. So you saw, you know, a lot of these black players who feel strongly about these issues um, split. And when we're divided as a group, you know, black, black men and women who often have these views of wanting to make life better for, you know, ourselves and the people who come behind us, um, then how can we expect people who don't understand our plight 
uh, to be united with us when we're divided. So I think we're far away um, from being united on any front. And I, I just don't see a, a time in the near future where the NFL or, or, you know, any of us can really be united on this issue. How, how tricky is it? Uh, this is Bill. Uh, how tricky is it for you as a, as a, as a reporter, beat reporter to walk that line between, you know, uh, the views you've got that are more editorial, probably critical. Right. And then, yes. you know, you know, being a quote unquote reporter, or do you think that, that, that sort of dynamic has changed a little bit? Is that more old school? No, that's a great question, Bill. And I kind of had these sort of conversations myself and, you know, with my group because I sort of struggle with it because a lot of times when I write these stories, they're from a news angle. So we're, we're telling, you know, the angle of Kenny Stills is calling out Stephen Ross for holding a, a, a Donald Trump fundraiser. So from the news angle, I write this story for ESPN.com. And they just want the news. They don't want any type of editorializing, no no sort of opinion, very little analysis. It's just what are the facts, who said what, and presented in that way. So from that stance, I'm just given the bare bones. Um, and then when I tell some of these stories, when I tell Kenny Stills' story, when I tell, you know, sort of uh, interactions between other people, specifically when I'm able to go like on TV and expound uh, upon these things, that's when I'm able to give a little bit more of my views and my opinions and how I see things. So um, like my role is a little bit less uh, structured than maybe a, an old school newspaper beat reporter because I, you know, I, I'm sort of a asked to be a beat reporter and a columnist at times. Um, but it is a dangerous line because like you mentioned, sometimes it's just news and sometimes I get a little bit more leeway. So I have to be careful um, because I have to, you know, not put words into people's mouths and I have to know that my view is not the view that everybody else shares. Um, so I find myself being extra careful with these stories. I find myself spending a lot more time on them. I find myself making, you know, putting myself in other people's shoes and trying to figure out, okay, what is the other side of this? Make sure I get another voice in this. If I'm writing a story from Kenny Stills' angle, let me make sure I get the NFL's voice into it. Let me make sure I get the player coalition voice into it. Uh, let me make sure I get the Dolphins' voice into it so that it's as balanced as I can make it so that, you know, one side of the audience doesn't completely ignore it because it's not their view. Hey, Cameron, this is Kevin. One thing I wanted to ask you was, what advice do you have for African-Americans trying to break into this field? I'd say more than anything, um, be unique. Um, I think a lot of times, and I was sort of victim of this, especially early in my career, you see the people in the newsroom, and many of us don't look like us. Many of uh, many of them don't act like us or have the same experiences as us. Um, so we sort of tend to uh, assimilate to the group that we see in these successful positions. So, you know, I had a mentor tell me, I started at the Denver Post my first uh, month after I got the job there. And, you know, I was a 20, 21-year-old kid, uh, 22 years old, I think, actually, at that time, covering the Broncos, this team that had Super Bowl championship contention. And, you know, I'm in the national stage, and I'm like, man, you know, you sort of have internal questions. Are you ready for this? You know, are, are you going to be able to handle all this? Are people going to look at you like, why, you're in, or why are you in this room? That sort of thing. Um, so I found myself trying to look around to people who have been in those rooms for multiple decades and saying, okay, well, they do it this way. They talk to players this way. They write this way. Maybe I should do it that way. And I had one of my mentors call me after a month, and he read one of my stories, and um, he said, what are you doing? 
And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? I'm, you know, I'm writing. I thought this was a good story. He was like, you know, if they, if they wanted to hire a 50 year old white man to do your job, they would have, mm-hmm. you know, why, why are you trying to be one? Um, be yourself. Um, you have unique stories to tell. You have unique uh, ways to tell those stories and um, don't be afraid to share it in that way. So I feel like it's sort of my mission to sort of share these athlete stories and seek out these stories. Um, I'd say, you know, whatever your interest is, you know, don't be afraid to insert that in some of your beat. And, and you know, that might be your way to differentiate yourself uh, from someone else. Hey, Cameron, it's Randall. I'm wondering, uh, I wanted to go back and, and, and talk about uh, what you were saying about owners and players. I'm wondering, do you think that NFL owners are actually committed to making changes through social justice? Or do you think it's just that uh, they want to stop the protest and keep people quiet? My biggest thing about owners, and I don't want to speak cause I, uh, for all of them, you know, in a absolute because I haven't met every owner. But the biggest thing that I've sort of learned about the owners that I've met is that uh, most of them, if not all of them, are white men who got there because they are really good with money and they're really good businessmen. And they view this as a venture um, either through entertainment or another way for them to make money. Um, so for them, if there are things that threaten either of those two things, um, they often either recoil or fight against it. Um, so I think that, you know, for a lot of owners, maybe not all, but a lot of owners, it's been less about, you know, what these athletes are standing for and, and you know, the owners being against social justice and more about them being afraid of the reaction and them being afraid of the monetary loss. And I think even with Stephen Ross, the issue that sort of came up is that, you know, can you truly play both sides? Can you say, hey, I appreciate the capitalistic gains that I get from, you know, uh, sort of enjoying one side of it, whether it be the Trump side of it or whether it be, you know, sort of saying that Colin Kaepernick can't have a job or saying that, hey, athletes should all stand so I don't lose my sponsors. But then also say I'm against racism and I'm, I'm for you guys making progress. Can you do both? And, you know, that's a question where Kenny still said adamantly, no, you can't do both. And some people may have an opinion, yes, you can be, um, you know, against racism and still support Donald Trump. You know, that's sort of a personal question that people have to answer with themselves. Um, but I think a lot of owners are sort of in the middle. And a lot of times sort of have we, as we've been taught throughout history, a lot of white moderates, when they don't have a strong opinion one way or the other, they prefer to stay silent. And I think for uh, a lot of athletes that are deciding to speak up, they feel like those white moderates who don't speak up are, are more of a dangerous group because they're the larger minority, and those are the people who may not you know, allow them to get progress because they're going to quietly fight against them because that's just against the status quo. What did you think of uh, Jay-Z when you first heard that he had entered into that partnership? Uh, what was your reaction? Um, my first reaction was that, first, the NFL made a great decision um, for someone to put the face of their social justice movement to sort of quiet some of the concerns that people had for them in that realm. I think that all of us would sort of, you know, who know a little bit of Jay-Z's past would say that he's done a lot for the black culture and that he's sort of for the cause and he's done a lot for the movement. So I thought from the NFL perspective, they had a lot of smart people in that room that said he would be a good guy to sort of put in the face of this and we could take a lot of the pressure off of us and we won't have to deal with that. So that's initially what my first thought was. 
And then my second thought was, I I hope that Jay-Z understands what I just said <laughs> and that he has a plan to sort of circumvent um, maybe some of the issues he may run into making true progress. Because a lot of times I see the NFL and, you know, they have made progress in this realm, but a lot of the progress they make is monetary. A lot of times they throw money at an issue. They say, hey, we're going to throw 80, $90 million on your social justice uh, campaign. And that, that's a lot of, you know, that might make, make an impact. And you might say, that's great. Um, but for a, a league like the NFL that has so much outreach, I feel like there's more that can be done. I feel like they can go to legislation and potentially try to change laws that, you know, impact generations and generations. Um, and I think that's something that I would hope that Jay-Z would maybe be able to push towards as he goes into this partnership. So I don't think I was adamantly against it the way that Eric Reed may have been initially. Um, I just was sort of a little skeptical about him being able to do with the NFL what the NFL hasn't been able to do in their years of doing this. So um, I'm hopeful that Jay-Z can make a change because I think that NFL is a really, really strong arm that could make a lot of change, and, and they hold a lot of years of people who uh, have decision-making power. Um, but I think they'll have to truly give him control and trust him in this realm for him to make the progress that I think uh, really matters for us. Hey, Cameron, this is East speaking. And Kenny Stills had mentioned in his statement for people to go look at his Facebook comments and his Instagram comments. And I was wondering if you yourself had got the chance to view any of the comments that people have left on his page about his activism. Yes, absolutely. And I got some of it sort of um, as sort of an intermediary through him, even when I've written about him. I, I think the, the, the positive thing for me a lot, a lot through this protest movement is that, and especially through the Donald Trump presidency, is that a lot of people who were sort of quiet racists have felt a lot more comfortable to come out. And they felt that it's more the norm to say a lot of the things that they wouldn't normally say in a different era. And I've got some of it, you know, sort of as, like I said, an intermediary to him. I've seen a lot of it. He showed me a lot of it. Um, you know, as I told told his story, he showed me some of the death threats that he's got, you know, through actual mail letters and, you know, telling him to go back to Africa and calling him a coon and a and an N-word and, and all, the, all the things you can imagine someone say it to things. I've been on, you know, NFL sidelines where, you know, intoxicated, you know, white men are yelling slurs at him, you know, as he's warming up for games. So I've seen, you know, firsthand a lot of the things that he mentions, um, which is why it's a little funny to me why on social media, you know, if I mention that, hey, Kenny still said he had, you know, five death threats, I'll get a question. Well, why do you believe him? Why do you think that? He, I'm like, because I've seen him, um, because I've heard what people say. So, like, I think there's still a belief that, hey, you know, maybe it's a really, really small group of people who do these actions and, you know, um, it, it's not enough for you to actually think that it's an issue. Um, and I think that's maybe a view that a lot of people um, maybe in, in, in the white America era have. And I think that, to me, is something that needs to be changed and that, you know, racism isn't just sort of a radical thing that's just in a small, small corner of the Ku Klux Klan era uh, of, of society. I think there's a larger group of people who have that mindset that typically don't speak up on it. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I've seen those sort of things. I've seen him sort of go through that. Um, like I said, we had a conversation this summer, and I'll probably do a story on it um, after some of this stuff slows down about sort of the mental health element 
And, you know, I, I tweeted something about it earlier this summer that, you know, people may have a view against him, but don't lose sight about the fact that he's still a human being. And, you know, these, this is something that he feels like is important to him, but it still hurts him when he gets some of this stuff. Like he said, he's going to a streams where he's typed in keywords into his Twitter and his Instagram to try to block out some of the negative energy he gets, you know, some of the, the slurs he gets, some of the, the, the words that he often gets. He tries to put them so he never sees them. Um, so he doesn't get that negativity in his life, but un- undoubtedly a lot of them still get through. So I think, you know, regardless of your opinion of what he's doing and how he's doing it, you know, I think as, a, as humans, we should have the basic decency to not, you know, threaten someone's life or to, you know, call someone a racial slur because you disagree with the method they go about, you know, with a peaceful protest. I had access because I myself um, had looked through some of his Facebook comments. And one of the comments that stood out to me the most was that someone said, I hope you resist arrest one day. And that showed me that people are not oblivious to what he is protesting against and what he is standing up for. And that they're honestly just ignorant. Right. No, I think you're right. And I'm sure we've all seen it sort of, you know, when there's a mention about a, you know, a young black man or woman being killed and it's reported, you know, somebody will tweet, what about Chicago? Or what about black on black crime? Or what about some of these other things? There's sort of always like a, a reaction to, um, when it's discussed that, hey, maybe there are police officers who kill unarmed black people. Like, maybe that actually does happen. And once there's, you know, announcement of that, there's sort of a, a defensive mechanism that comes from a lot of people. And it sort of puzzles me because, if you're not racist and if you're not, if you don't want to see racist acts done, why are you so defensive about when it's mentioned that these acts are actually happening and that it's being brought to light? So um, I, to your point, when you say I'm just kind of looking at his messages, I think there are a variety of different people who respond to him positively and negatively because he does get a lot of positive comments. I want to mention that. Like there are a lot of people who support his cause. And, you know, tell me on a regular basis that they, you know, tell him to resist and tell him to stay strong, to tell him there are people behind him. Um, and then there are obviously the people who are against him who, you know, either say things to because they know what he's fighting for and they don't want it to change or they act oblivious and they pretend it's not an issue. How has this changed your how you go about your job, how you think about your job? Um, has this had an impact on you? I mean, you're young in your career, but yet you're kind of old in your career at the same time. Is this, um, how, how has this changed the way you look at, uh, uh, how you do your job? Uh, Bill, I think it's changed it tremendously, honestly, because before this sort of era of player protest, I, I paid very little attention to politics. Like, you know, I, obviously I'm sort of a younger person, so I've only voted in a couple of elections. Um, but I was sort of a once every four years guy, you know, mm-hmm. I would pay attention a little bit to the debates when the presidential election came about. Um, I would pay attention to the news every once in a while, but I, I watched very little CNN. I was very little involved in politics. And when this intersection of, uh, sports and politics, which has always been around, became more pronounced in this era, it forced me to become more educated. It forced me to sort of expand my horizon and say, Hey, you can't just watch Sports Center for, you know, 12 hours every day. Maybe you should do something else. Like I, I mentioned earlier on Twitter, I, like I, I listen to podcasts that are not sports related. That's sort of my way to sort of intersect outside of sports and to open my mind. Like one of my friends, uh, Malik Andrews, just 
recommended a podcast that I'm listening to about ISIS and how they're fighting, you know, ISIS and who these people are and that sort of thing. And that's something I would never have listened to before. But now I feel like I have to expand my mind because you never know what is going to come up in your daily job. So um, I think it's changed in that realm. And then, and then second of all, I think it's changed because, you know, when I first got into this job, I was a big football dude. Like, I, I, I'm a big X and O guy. I could talk X and O's with anybody. I grew up playing football. I love the game. I love, you know, talking defensive back. But now, to be honest, the stories I enjoy telling the most um, often have nothing to do with football. And I think that, that's sort of my experience over the last three years and sort of learning these athlete stories and telling them um, – I've realized that in the grand scheme of things, you know, who wins the starting quarterback battle doesn't matter as much um, than some of these other issues. And I think that, you know, um, it's our job to tell the issues uh, that matter. Mm. Uh, Hey, Ken, before we let you go, um, this is the first show with these new class of fellows, and they're already staging an uprising. They say they say, they, they want to end these heavy they want to end these heavy ass sessions. Well, let's do something like that. All right, okay. So uh, I'm going to turn this over to Randall, who I think was a ringleader of this. So Randall, why don't you uh, why don't you <laughs> uh, give your whole name, Randall, so we'll know exactly who's who's responsible for this. Why don't you take us? Uh, why don't you introduce this, Randall? Hey, uh, hey, Cameron, it's Randall. I guess I'm being deemed the ringleader of this. So I have uh, no problem claiming that responsibility. Um, our first question is one that's been trending on Twitter for the past week or so. It's a hot topic, um, so I'll get right to it. Is it Chick-fil-A or Popeye's? Where do you stand in the, in the debate? <laughs> uh, great, great starting question. Um, I actually had oak sandwiches last week. Um, I, obviously, I've had a lot of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Um, but Popeye sandwich is definitely the better sandwich. Um, I'm a spicy, I'm a spicy guy, so I love the spicy Popeye sandwich. It's it's nice and thick. I like the you know the breaded nature of it. It's got two pickles on it. It's just heaven, you know. It, it, it tastes like you know somebody's grandma made it. Um, and I appreciate that they're open on Sundays. So I think Popeye's for the win. Um, I'll deal with the bad customer service to get the Popeye ticket. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Why isn't Kentucky Fried Chicken? I mean, that's not even in the conversation. Nah, you can't see out of here. You can't see out of here. Okay, sorry. Nah, you can't right. see out of here. Okay, next. That's D class. All right. uh, moving on, um, we have a question related to the Dolphins. This running back uh, played for the Texas Longhorns, and he played for the Dolphins for seven years. Uh, who is he? I uh, actually interviewed him last year for a story. It's Ricky Williams. Wonderful. Mm. And uh, our last question is, is it a hot boy summer or is it a hot boy <laughs> summer? We got to know. We got to know. <laughs> oh, them hot boys always winning that job. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Cameron Wolf has turned the tide. <laughs> hey, Cameron, that's great. You, you've, pa- you've passed the uh, millennial test. I guess you are You are a millennial. Yeah, you're, you, you know. All right. I, I guess I am in the millennial vibe, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I'm still, you know, surprised by Kentucky Fried Chicken, but, you know, what can I say? Oh, God. All right. We might have to rename the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh wow! See, see what I'm talking about? Hey, hey, Cameron. Yeah, they, they, over. I know. Immediately, it's like day, this is like day one. That's uh, the great Cameron Wolf. He's a national NFL reporter for ESPN, 
and he's been covering the uh, the Dolphins the last couple of years, covering it like a blanket. Uh, Cameron, this is really uh, tremendous, man. Thank thank you so much uh, for for coming on. You you got to come back. This is really tremendous. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, wish you guys all the luck, and if you guys ever need anything, reach out to me. I'm always uh, happy to help. Uh, and how, by the way, how can Thank people you. follow you? How can people follow your work online? Yeah, uh, I guess on social media, I'm at Cameron Wolf, C A M E R O N W O L F E on Twitter. Hey, Cameron, thanks right, so now, much, thanks, man. Thank you guys for having me. All right, all right take now. care. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, a lot of new, new music has been released lately, just in time for the beginning of the school year. We're going to discuss what we like and don't like. Stay tuned. Fall is approaching, which means football season and school are about to begin. But maybe uh, more importantly, it's also a good time for artists to release albums and singles. For my taste, Hot Fun in the Summertime by Sly and the Family Stone makes me think of my time as an undergraduate at Morgan. Music has a way of defining the college experience. Uh, artists like Raphael Sadiq, Missy Elliott, and Young Thug have just put out new music. I, I want to ask the fellows... Uh, which albums are you guys excited about? And, and predict uh, which artists are going to define this year. It's Randall, and I'm, I'm going to be quite frank. You know, if you're not bumping that new Young Thug, you're wrong. Thug came back with the with the heat this year. No no cap. He came back with the heat. But, but to define the year, I think Dreamville got the year. Revenge of the Dreamers 3 is probably one of the best projects that I've heard all year. Great rapping, uh, great R&B. It's all around great. Hi, everybody. It's Nate here, and um, what I've been listening to these past couple of weeks is a new Trippy Red album. It came out uh, a few weeks ago, and it's got some great features on it from uh, The Game and some other uh, great artists. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really good album. I'm a big Trippy Red fan, so I might be a little biased. But the new Brockhampton album, which came out uh, last night, is uh, phenomenal as well. It's got some nice kind of Kendrick vibes to it and uh, some other... Yeah. I don't know, almost almost Travis Scott vibes as well. So I mean, it's 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 been a really good listen to so far. Um, this is East, and I'm gonna have to agree with Randall on this one. I'm not even the biggest Young Thug fan, but that album went hard, like no skips whatsoever. So that's gonna be my album for the summer right now. Yeah, this is Arthur. Of the albums that came out this week, I would have to go with Rhapsody's Eve. Uh, I didn't listen to much Rhapsody prior to this album, but this album is definitely an ode to women of color with songs attributed to Nina Simone and Aaliyah and Michelle Obama. And although it probably won't get the recognition that Young Thug's album is going to get, I think it's one of the best albums that came out. No, Rhapsody's album is fire. It's really fire. Hello, this is Whitney again. And 
Sorry to Randall and East, but I just wasn't for real feeling Young Thug. He did have some bangers on the album, but I guess I'm just not like a, I'm not like a Young Thug fan. But what I will say, um, a surprise for me was Missy Elliott, actually. So I listened to her album and it wasn't that long. It was only like six songs. And at first I was kind of like, okay, Missy, you're trying to switch up your sound a little too much. Like, it sounds like you're trying to do some new things. But then as it got, as I went through it, I was like, oh, okay, Missy. I was, you know, feeling it a little bit. So I, I, I have to give a little bit of props to Missy, especially with the visuals too. The visuals go crazy. It's Missy Elliott. They always going to go crazy. So yeah. In 2019, I'm not taking Missy Elliott over Young Thug. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm not saying I picked her over him. I'm just saying, I mean, I just, I'm not a Young Thug fan. I just don't really listen to him like that. Well, you, what you, you say? You said Missy Elliott is, is irrelevant already? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying <laughs> that Young Thug just dropped that heat. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm, I would keep bumping the young thug before I get to Miss Elliott. It was, it was a little cold. That that thug, that thug is for me, Mr. Roden. We got to get you We got to get you listening to some young thug. Well, you know, so he's gonna be just like the rest. Mr. Roden will cancel. Wait, the wait but you know what? <laughs> no, no, you know what? Yeah, nobody has mentioned number one, Raphael Sadiq, and his his new album, Jimmy Lee. You know, in fact, you all said you didn't even know him. So you know. I listen, listen to Young Thug, like and you listen to Raphael Sadiq, and we'll come back next week, and 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 I'll hear you eat, you know, humble pie. Wow. Say no more. But when I when I hear you come in singing that Young Thug, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Trust me, you won't. That young thug. That, that'll be the last thing you hear. All right, I promise you, <laughs> Mister Mr. Roden, gonna be coming into the podcast next week. All in love with trap drums. Eight oh eight. Right. I get, and you and you yeah. like Drake too, right? Me? Yeah. I do. Uh, it depends uh, on uh, no, Arthur. You know, Arthur. It, it depends. But Kendrick Lamar is the greatest rapper alive. No debate. Okay. Well, that's not a... Grizzly. Oh, Lord. Grizzly. Grizzly. Kendrick Lamar is the greatest rapper alive. P. Grizzly. I say all time. Uh, <laughs> Drake, and then J. Cole, and then Kendrick Lamar. Hey. Mr. Lowe, do you know who Megan Thee Stallion is? Who is this? Hey. Megan, Megan Estallion. Of course I do. Do you? Okay. <laughs> next, 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 next question. Do you know? Do you know who Rafael Sadiq is? Oh my God! Oh, but and by the way, by the way, your homework for tonight is to look up the last poet, "Scared of Revolution," and we'll have a discussion about it next week. And, and my question to you: uh, Now, I'm a big time. There's certain. There's certain. There's certain music that is timeless, that 20 years from now, it'll be classic. And what I'm asking you before we get out of here is what music, of all the music you've listened to, what music that you've heard is going to be classic, that 20 years from now, people will still be talking about, that was a great piece of music? Anything about Drake. Can three albums? Anything about Drake. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, anything by Drake. We really got some mainstream swimmers in here. Mm. One question before we go. Could y'all explain what the hell is Hot Boy Summer? <laughs> Please. 
since okay. since who who introduced that anyway? Okay, I'll I'll take this one. I'll I'll take this one. Okay, so, who who's this? Who's this speaking? So hey, Whitney, you better put some respect Whitney. on our names. Put some respect on the hot boys. Well, before hold on, because before I explain hot boy summer, I gotta explain hot girl summer. So Megan the Stallion, Mr. Rodino. Oh yes, for all of the listeners. Yes. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> Megan the Stallion coined the term hot girl summer. And it's about women being them, you know, just having a good time, hyping up their friends and doing them this summer. So it also turned into hot boy summer. So it's essentially the same definition just for men. Okay. It's living your best life. Okay. Right. Exactly. Get into that bag. You. All that. So, so Mr. Rowan, the question now is, are you a hot boy or not? I'm not a boy. I'm a man. Listen to Muddy Waters. I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a hot, it's hot man summer out here. Listen, to, I want you to bring me back. Listen, you're uh, you, another homework homework assignment. Listen to Muddy Waters. I'm a man, no boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Before we close out, Mister Roden, yes. we have some trivia questions for you. Oh Lord. So, okay, go ahead. Okay, well, okay. you've had a lot to say about our music taste. So, what is your song of the summer? My song of the summer. <laughs> Raphael Sadiq. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, my song of the summer, although it's old, it's, it's Summertime with Will Smith. That's always my song of the summer. Okay, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Do y'all know that? Is that too oh, old? Oh, okay. I know that. I don't know if. Y'all don't know that? Summertime Will Smith? I know. Come on with me. <laughs> Come on, with I mean, you. didn't nobody say anything? Nobody said anything. Oh, no one said anything. So I, I, that's why I was asking. And also, I'm most I'm primarily into jazz. I may I may have to. Take, I figured you for a jazz person. Yeah, well, of course. Anybody who is an older black person with taste is going to be a jazz person. I mean, yeah, we kind of outgrow this. We go to well, that's our, right? we, we outgrow this stuff. Like y'all, y'all, you guys will eventually outgrow it. And then you will be talking about jazz too. Oh. But right now, you know, you, you okay. you're, you're 21 years old, so you do so, tw- 21 year old thing. But as you get older, you'll get into the music. Slow down, uh, right? You have to slow down. So, Mister Rodin, throwing a little shade there. No, I talk when we come to New York. You know, we'll, we'll, we may go to a jazz club. Or something. <gasps> All right. Okay. What was your second one? Okay. Okay. So, second question is a football question. So, are you on Team Antonio Brown, or is he being overdramatic? Well, I mean, it's oxymoron. Of course, he's by definition he's dramatic. <laughs> of course, <laughs> he's, he starts with drama. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, what 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 did what did what did Oakland think they're going to get? You know, so yeah, no, I'm not. You know, he, he, he okay, he's a drama queen. Yeah, yeah. So no, okay. What's the next one? Okay, final question. Spider-Man has been in the news a lot lately who? and learned that you're not the Spider-Man. Did you I, say who? <laughs> go, oh, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> go ahead. Well, oh, clearly, we, we recently learned that you are not the biggest fan of Spider-Man. So, if you had to rely on one superhero, would it be Black Panther or Luke Cage? Um... Black Panther, because Luke Cage takes too much punishment, and they also took it off the air. So, Black Black Panther. <laughs> All right. Good answer. 
All right. We're going to leave it there, by the way. But you guys were great. Uh, that's all we have time for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Roden Fellows. You could also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at WC Roden. That's W C R H O D E N. Hey everyone, this is Whitney once again, and my Twitter handle is wit underscore bit ninety eight. That's W H I T underscore B I T nine eight. Hey everyone, this is Arthur. You can follow me on Twitter at Crib underscore Arthur, spelled B-R-I-B-B-S underscore A-R-T-H-U-R. Hi, this is East Dockery, and you can follow me on Twitter at East Dockery, E-A-S-T-D-O-C-K-E-R-Y. Hey everybody, it's Nate Easington, and you can follow me at just that, and that's N-A-T-E-A-S-I-N-G-T-O-N. What's up, guys? My name is Kevin. You can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Parrish Jr. K E V I N P A R R I S H and Jr. J R. Hey, everyone. It's Randall. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at R A N D I L W I L L I A M S. Thanks for having us. Hey, hey, everybody. That's all we have time for today. But thanks for listening to the Road Fellows podcast. Uh, this show is produced by the wonderful Aaron Mathewson. A special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Bill Roden, and I've been your host. Get all of your HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another scintillating episode of the HBCU Podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-